Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Marcy. Hi, I'm Marcy. I'm a grateful compulsive reader. Hi, Marcy. I'm very grateful to be a member of the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm grateful for the 12-step program um, as outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm also very grateful for the relationship that I have with my higher power today, and I'm grateful to be abstinent today. And um, I wouldn't have found that 12-step program had I not entered the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I don't think I would have a relationship with my higher power today had I not practiced the 12 steps to the best of my ability, and I certainly would not be abstinent today if I didn't have all three of those things, the fellowship, the 12-step program, and a higher power in my life. So um, I'm really grateful for that, and I'm really nervous. I always get nervous because, of course, it's all about me, and, you know, (laughs) what am I going to say, and what are you going to think of me, and, you know, all of that. And this program has taught me that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all my troubles, you know, this constant thought of self. So, you know, the truth is it's not about me. It's about what this program and about what my higher power has done for me. So maybe if I can remember that, I'll I'll be okay. (laughs) So uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I I do have some pictures because when I was new, it helped me to see pictures of people with physical recovery. I am a 100-pounder. My top weight is somewhere around 250 pounds. I say somewhere around because I really wasn't getting on the scale when I was that heavy, so it may have been a little more. I I don't think it was much less. Um, What I know factually is that when I came into these rooms May 1st, 2002, I was wearing size 24 jeans, and they were very tight. And today, to come to this meeting, I put on my size 8 jeans, and although they were a little tighter than I would like them to be, they still fit. So um, there you go with to get the numbers out of the way. I guess I want to say first, uh, I'm very grateful tonight to be abstinent, and I wanted to say just briefly what abstinence means for me, my understanding of abstinence, because when I came into the rooms, that was kind of confusing for me, for people who are new or struggling. Maybe this will help, maybe not. It's just my understanding of abstinence. sponsor always says, this is Overeaters Anonymous. And so the thing that, that, that I am abstinent from is overeating. I am abstinent today by the grace of God from compulsively overeating, and I've been abstinent from compulsively overeating for eight and a half years. I really believe that that is the bottom line of abstinence. Not that I keep coming back. Not that I give service. Not that I do a tenth step every night or any of that stuff. All of those things are good and necessary and wonderful, but they're not abstinent to me. And and also, it's not the food that I abstain from. I do do abstain from recreational sugar. I don't eat cookies or cake or candy. But 
that alone is not abstinence for me. So, you know, if I, if I don't eat those things, but then I eat, you know, mounds and mounds of sugar-free stuff or, or if I compulsively overeat healthy food, it's, it's still problematic for me. Um, and I also believe that abstinence should, is, is designed to help you reach and maintain a normal, healthy body weight. For me, those are, are, are very important understandings of abstinence. Um, and that was confusing to me in the beginning because I would hear all kinds of stuff. So that's me and abstinence. And I'm just grateful I know that I didn't do it myself. It was, it's a true gift from my higher power, who I usually just call God. So back to what it was like. I was not a, a particularly heavy kid, but I always had this weird kind of sneaky um, relationship with food. I can remember being really young and sneaking and getting like, we always had sweets in the house, and I can remember getting them and, and sneaking them and taking them to bed with me, you know, ice cream bars and, and cookies and, and stuff like that and taking them to bed. And, you know, I can remember really young, like stealing money from my mom's purse to go buy sweet stuff and to go buy uh, just junk food. And, you know, I just thought all kids do that, but today I know that's really not a normal relationship with food. I remember my mom had, like, silver dollars, you know, and they were probably valuable. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me, and I took all the silver dollars and, and you know, I'd take them one at a time, and I'd go, and I'm, I'm old, so a dollar's worth of candy was a lot of candy. I'm 55 years old, so, you know, you could buy penny candy back then, right? Some people are nodding. The young people are like, I don't know what she's talking about. But you could buy a bunch of candy for a dollar, a bunch of candy for a dollar. And I would do that, um, you know, but it didn't catch up to me in terms of weight until I was in young adulthood. But then, the, then what I did with food did uh, you know, start to have an effect, and I started to struggle with weight. And, um, you know, my very, very best thinking was to take diet pills. I took a lot of speed and amphetamine-based diet pills to starve the weight off, get back down to a, a somewhat normal size, and then eat my way back up. You know, and that was just my very best thinking when it came to controlling my weight. I, it never got any better than that until I came into these rooms. I mean, that was was pretty much the only solution that I had. I tried other stuff, you know, like I got stuff in my ears, acupuncture in my ears to control my weight, and I did every diet plan or that candy that you ate to control your appetite. I ate like the whole box of candy, you know. Um, you know, but I tried a bunch of stuff. But really, you know, the, the, like I say, my, the very best thought I had was, you know, to starve by the use of amphetamines and then, you know, gain it all back within weeks as soon as I stopped taking the amphetamines. And um, eventually that wasn't an option. I stopped using the diet pills because I got scared of what, Everyone said they did to your heart, and I really didn't, I wasn't suicidal in that kind of way. I really did want to live. So, I, you know, I stopped doing diet pills, and the weight just kept coming on and coming on and coming on. Um, you know, people talk about baby weight. My, my 
my son is um, 30 years old this year, and, you know, like I didn't lose the baby weight for, you know, until he was in his 20s, you know. And, like, and I was, you know, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. But I was just kind of surrendered to being big. And, you know, I, I was just kind of, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not an isolator. Sometimes I hear people talk about this disease as a disease of isolation, and that's not my my personal story. I, I've been married several times, and I, <laughs> I'm very happily married today. Um, and you know, and I have three sons, and um, you know, I had a life. I had friends, and I did things. You know, and I just did them heavy, and, you know, I, I tried to look as cute as I could and go to the big girl stores and buy big girl clothes, and, and you know, I kind of just did the best I could with it. And when people would kind of lovingly say something to me about my weight and about how, how much larger I was getting, you know, whether it was a partner or whether it was a family member, when people would say stuff, I would just bite their heads off, you know, it's just like, mind your own business, and I'm fine, and there's nothing wrong with me, and, you know, I don't eat too much, or, you know, whatever, just really hostile and antagonistic, and I would always say, my health is fine, I would always come back with that, that there's nothing the matter with my health, you know, my blood pressure is as good as yours, or my health is as good as yours, Um, and then one day it wasn't. One day it wasn't, and that really is what brought me into these rooms. Sometimes people talk about they came for the vanity. That really wasn't my story. I came in here because my health was being significantly impacted by the excess weight that I was carrying, and it was scaring me. It it was really scaring me, and I think I'm the kind of person who always kind of thought in the back of my mind that if I really wanted to get it under control, I would. And so there came a time in my life when I really wanted to get it under control. The doctors had told me I needed to get it under control. And I was trying really, really hard to get it under control. And it seems to me, looking back, that the harder I tried, the worse it got. You know, the the more I tried to control my food, the more I was eating. The more I tried to, to come up with a solution, the worse it got. Um, and by the time I, I, you know, I really did just crawl into these rooms because I was just so desperate and afraid. Everything that I tried was not working, and I was getting bigger and bigger, and I was in a lot of pain, physical pain, and I was just scared. And, um, you know, I can remember, like, you know, just a few days before I walked into these rooms, like waking up in the morning and thinking, you know, today's going to be the day. I'm going to, I'm going to. Today's going to be a good day. That, that's what I. I don't know if anybody else ever. But today is going to be a good day. I'm going to lose 30 pounds today. You know, whatever. You know, that's the kind of thinking I had. But, but like, so it would look like this would be today's going to be a good day. I'm just going to drink lemon juice and cayenne pepper and maple syrup. This was some crazy thing that I found somewhere that was supposed to be helpful. And I'm going to just do this all day, every day for um, several months, and I'll be a normal size. And and that was how I would wake up in the morning. And literally by 8 o'clock in the morning, I would be at the hamburger stand, you know, literally at the hamburger stand, getting a double chili cheeseburger, extra chili, extra cheese, extra mayo. And, you know, and that would be the beginning of the day. And, um, you know, 
it seems like the car just kind of took me there. Um, and, you know, and then I, before work, I'd stop and, I, you know, I'd get some kind of sugar-filled smoothie drink thing, you know, after the chili cheeseburger, and then I'd get a couple pastries uh, or a bagel. And, you know, this was in the morning before work. And I kind of just ate all day. You know, I, it would just go on from there. I work in an area where you can order a ton of takeout food. And, you know, I was in tremendous credit card debt because of my food addiction. You know, I would just call and order stuff. And I was very kind of, um, what do you call it, codependent. So I'd say, you know, like, hey, you know, Lucy, you want to, you know, like, let's order pizza today. You know, and I, I'll treat, you know, and... You know, stuff like that, and I was just very, um, you know, so I, you know, or, or, hey, does somebody want to go to the ice cream store, and, you know, I'll treat if you, you know, if you'll go get it, or, you know, just stuff like, you know, and, I mean, it would just be that all day long, um, and I can remember my bosses telling me, like, you know, Marcy, you really need to stop eating at your desk. I mean, I, it was not lunchtime. I was eating all day, and, you know, and I was really embarrassed by that. Like, I can remember being really ashamed and embarrassed, but it didn't stop me. You know, I just would hide it. Like, I made a drawer for it, and I would just sneak and eat it. Like, like they couldn't smell it, or like they couldn't see the grease on my face and my fingers. But I couldn't stop, you know. I couldn't stop. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, I have a lot of people in my life who were recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous and of other 12-step programs. And so I kind of had this glimmer that there was something out there that could could help people overcome addictions. And I didn't know anybody who had successfully done OA, but I had heard of OA. And I just remember being, I was in like Las Vegas, and really literally trying to just eat and drink my way through Vegas, like just eat the whole city, you know, and and being scared, like like just being like 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 so out of control and knowing it at this little piece of me, but still just not able to stop. And something just said, when you get back to L.A., you're going to go to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, just just something spoke to me. And I made up my mind to go, and I think I got back on a Monday, and I ate my way through Monday and Tuesday. And I went to my first meeting on a Wednesday, May 1st, 2002. And I remember having a conversation with one of those people who was in AA, and I said, I I get how you guys, you don't drink. I get that, and and so that means you're sober because you don't drink. But I don't get the OA thing because people have to eat so like what do you what do people in OA do and her answer you know remember she wasn't in she wasn't in OA but her answer was you eat three meals a day and nothing in between and she had heard that somewhere that that's what people in OA did and of course today I know that that's not everybody's food plan and that that doesn't necessarily mean you're abstinent and if you eat five small meals a day you are abstinent or whatever so this is not to say that is abstinence but that was my first understanding of it. Three meals a day with nothing in between. And I came into the rooms doing that, you know. I don't think they were particularly balanced meals, but they weren't big meals. They weren't, you know, they were moderate meals. And I, I don't know, something just happened. I'm one of those people 
who just got that gift of abstinence. I think I was just so broken and and just so open to do anything. And she said three meals a day, and I said, okay. And I remember just coming in, and I had had two meals, and when the meeting was over, I had the third meal. And I've had three meals a day, by the grace of God, you know, ever since. Um, nothing in between. And that's kind of, for me, that works well. I listened a lot when I came in here. I just listened to whatever anybody said, and I really tried to do what people said worked. And, you know, I heard people say, no second helpings, so that became part of my abstinence. I heard people say the food should fit on one plate, so, you know, for me that's part of my abstinence. I heard people say don't go back to seconds at the buffet table, just different things. And and so I incorporated those things. They They didn't come from here. Here was, my brain was broken. You know, my best thinking was lemon juice, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup. Seriously. You know, and some diet pills if I could still get them. But people in here seem to have saner, soberer ideas about food. And I listened. And people said, go to meetings every day. And I did. My first two years, I went to a meeting every day. This, this meeting used to be one of my regular meetings. People said, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. People said, be a service. I, I was a service. Just whatever people said to do, I was willing to do it. And you have to understand, if you knew me, that's not me. Defiance, if you know, if you looked it up in the dictionary, you would see Marcy's picture. I am by, I'm that, I'm that question authority person. I'm the kid that, you know, I didn't even finish high school. I'm saying this on tape, oh God. You know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't finish, I didn't graduate high school because I left my mother's house at 16. I was defiant. I was willful. You know, I, I argued with every teacher I ever had. I was the kid that got kicked out of class. I mean, so, you know, and, and th- that didn't stop. I don't know why I'm talking about teenage years. That didn't stop. You know, there's a reason I was married a lot of times. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a reason that I was always in battles with people at work and, you know, difficulties with bosses and coworkers and stuff. Very argumentative, very defiant. I always knew what was best for me and for everybody else, and screw you if you didn't want to listen to me. So the fact that I came in here like that, it, it really... It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that I still come. It's amazing to me that I have a sponsor that I still listen to. And when she says something to me, I actually listen. I don't argue. This Sometimes I'm like, who is this person? But I really am a different person. Um, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that what we have to have is an entire psychic change if we are to recover. And for me, that really has happened. I really am a different person. Still very flawed, still very selfish, still very self-centered, still want to be right. You know, you know, what do they mean? You'd rather be happy than right. No, I'd rather be right. You know. But, but today I keep my mouth shut better. And, and you know, today I, I really try to the best of my ability to practice the principles embodied by the 12 steps to the best of my understanding and it's all very imperfect but I really am a different person today and and I today I thank God that I was so broken and so desperate because I think that was that was it you know I just there was nowhere else to go 
And I didn't even particularly like it in here. You know, like people, some people say, oh, I felt like I was home. And I didn't feel like that. I'm sorry. You know, I've said this before. I didn't feel like that. You guys were like, not my people. And, you know, I just didn't, you know, I thought everybody was thin. Like I was going to meetings in like West Hollywood. And I thought, oh, everybody, they're so thin. Why are they here? You know, and, and I just felt like the fattest person in the room I you know I, I there weren't a lot of people of color where I was going to meetings so I you know I felt like oh there's no black people I'm a lesbian I felt like there's no lesbians I mean it was just you know I didn't have that oh I'm home today I have that today I have that you know today I have that but I still kept coming because there was nowhere else to go and one day at a time, I was not overeating. And I knew that was a miracle. I knew that was a miracle. And the weight was just coming off like it had never come off before. I mean, I lost all my weight within the first year with, without a particularly restrictive food plan. Um, the sponsor that I had at that time said, that this was before Dignity of Choice, which I really love the Dignity of Choice pamphlet, but we didn't have it then. And the sponsor I had said, go to a nutritionist, ask her what you need to eat and how you need to lose, you know, 100 pounds. And I did that. And, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to follow that food plan. You know, never in my life was I able to follow a food plan. And I still kind of follow the same plan today. And it's so funny because I think it's like plan two in the dignity of choice. You know, it's the same plan that, I, that the nutritionist gave me. It's, it's, I think it's the second plan in there. You know, it's sane, it's balanced. You know, I eat everything in moderation except for, like I said, recreational sugars. Um, I also recently realized that sugar-free candy is not a good thing for me, you know. So so I, I, I added that to my abstinence recently after discussing it with my sponsor. Um, but, you know, other than that, I pretty much eat all things in moderation. And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about OA is that we get to find our own truth in here around what foods are alcoholic for us. Some people don't eat bread. Some people do. Some people don't eat white flour. You know, we get to find our own truth about about what works and what doesn't work for us. And, um, you know, I remember m- my sponsor saying, honesty starts at the plate. You know, this is a program of honesty, and honesty starts at the plate. You know, you got to get honest about what your problem is and, and what your problem foods are. And, um, you know, if you're not willing to do that, in my experience, then recovery is going to be difficult. So like I was saying, I, you know, I heard so much stuff in the, in the rooms. And the thing I heard every single meeting, thank God, is I heard the 12 steps. They were read. You know, if, if, even if the speaker for some reason didn't mention a step, we read them in almost every meeting, and it became very clear to me early on that the 12 steps were the path to recovery. And I was blessed to get into this really wonderful big book workshop with this alcoholic guy. He wasn't an overeater, but he led this big book workshop in Culver City. And, you know, God love him. He didn't mind if overeaters came or whatever. He didn't care. He got it. You know, he got it that what I did with Twinkies is what he did with, with um, you know, heroin and with alcohol. And he got it. 
And, um, you know, he became my sponsor for a while, and he, he took me through the 12 steps several times. The way they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we don't add from, we don't add to them, we don't subtract for them, from them. For me, this book and the plan that's outlined in this book is my solution. And I'm not gonna F with it because, remember, the solutions that came from this brain, you know, remember that. So, um, I love the 12 steps. Um, I guess like some people say, I'm a big book thumper or a big book fundamentalist. I've heard stuff like that before, and it's okay with me today. It works for me. Um, it, it works, and um, when I sponsor people, we, we go through the 12 steps together the way they're outlined. I try really hard not to tell the people I sponsor what to do. I just try to share with them what I did. You know, because like I said, I have a whole history of telling people what to do and thinking that I know what's best for people. So today, um, my understanding of sponsorship is not that I know what's best for you. My understanding of sponsorship is that I lead you or guide you through the 12 steps the way they're written in the book. I don't got to rewrite it. And and I share with you my experience around work, working, work, I'm sorry, I share with you my experience around working those 12 steps. I am sponsored today. I, I think I'm going like backwards, kind of like I'm doing the steps now, starting at 12. But I am sponsored today. I have a wonderful sponsor today. I'm very grateful for her. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to listen to what she says and um, to follow her directions and suggestions. And, um, what, you know, what else is it like today? I told you what happened, what it's like now. Oh, um, yesterday... Um, my granddaughter, I have a granddaughter. I have four grandchildren, but the, the littlest one is four, and she spent the night. And mm-hmm. so I promised her if we got ready on time, we could go to the park before I took her to work with me for her dad to pick her up. So we're at the park, and it's a park with like a track, you know? And she's like, we're going to play follow the leader. And we're running. I mean, really, she's like, Grandma Marcy, run real fast. And we're running. And then she's like, okay, tippy-toe. And, you know, like, so you get it, like, follow the leader, right? And now we're going to skip. And it just occurred to me what a miracle it is that, that me, 250 pounds, who, who couldn't get up, you know, like a flight of stairs, who really couldn't walk a block, without huffing and puffing, you know, I mean, really having serious difficulty. It's such a miracle that today I can do that with her, and I didn't even get tired. I mean, she was tired before me, and we swung on the swings. I'd be scared to get on a swing at 250 pounds. But we swung on the swings, and I'm able to play with her. And I'm somebody that my children and my grandchildren want to be around today. And I don't know if that would have been true if I had stayed um, using food the way I was using it. I was, you know, I, I don't know that they would have wanted to be around me or want me around their kids. You know, my grandchildren love me and I love them. Um, I do pray and meditate um, on a daily basis. I'm looking at the 12 steps on the wall. <laughs> I do pray and meditate on a daily basis. I have to do a timed meditation. I am such a person doing, not a person being. You know what I mean? I'm always... I can't slow my head down. It's always spinning. So in the mornings, I set the timer and I sit and meditate for 10 time minutes. And it's very difficult for me, even after all this time. Um, 
it's very difficult for me to do that. It's difficult for me to sit and be still and think about what would God want me to do. It's it's real difficult for me, but I do it because I really do believe that if I am to get that daily reprieve that they talk about in the big book, I have to practice all the steps. I don't think I get to pick and choose. Um, I, I like to say it is a suggested program of recovery. It's not a program of suggestions. So that means there's a whole program, you know, that I have to follow. I didn't make that up, trust me. I, I heard it somewhere, but I really like it. You know, so I need to follow and practice all 12 of the steps to the best of my ability. Um, you know, how much more time do I have? I feel like I'm talking forever. Two minutes? Oh, okay. Well, the format said 12 minutes. Well, the format said I could stop early and ask for questions. So I think, you know, I'd like to say I'm really, really grateful that all of you are here you, you all have saved my life. The, the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous and, and, and my higher power have really given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I guess if people have questions, I'm happy to try to answer them, at least from my own experience. So thank you for letting me share. Hi. What was your process of working through some of the work issues as far as you know everything at work and how to do it. Oh, yeah. It was, it was difficult. I'm an office manager. Do I still need to be on the mic? Oh, okay. Oh, so you want to know what was my process in working through what a, a terrible bee I was at work and how did I kind of resolve some of that? Yeah. So I, I'm an office manager, so you know that part in the book about the actor trying to run the show. I really am that because I was an office manager of a fairly large office. And like I said, I was always in battles with people and stuff. And and I really believe that in step three, step three says that I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to God's care. For me, that means turning my thinking and my actions over to God. So I really had to learn to start pausing before I would speak to people and pausing before I would do things at work. And it was really difficult. It was far from perfect. But I started to do that and I would pick up the phone and I would call somebody rather than get into a battle and um, you know I would just remind myself constantly that I wasn't running the show even though that was my job my job was not to run the show in the way that I was running it I made amends to everybody that I worked with um, including like I was a thief I didn't say that but I was a big thief and I stole money from my boss and I actually made big you know grand theft kind of financial amends to to him and to the people that I worked with and, it, and just slowly it got better you know slowly it got better and some days were not good but it got better over time and um about I, so I was like three years into program and I had pretty much cleaned up the work stuff and I made a decision I didn't really want to do that kind of management of a big office like that. I mean, that many people, we had like satellite offices, and it was just a lot of management. And so um, I, I work for doctors. So one of the doctors and I decided to start our own office. And so it was just me and him for a while, and now, and, and that's what I do today. So it's the same work, but on a much, and I, today I really do just manage myself. And that's much better for me and for my spiritual growth, I think. You know, I just think it's, it's 
better for me. So that was kind of the process, but really just the, the steps. You know, I inventoried my behavior with people. I inventoried how I had hurt people that I worked with. And, you know, I had to find people that had moved on and, you know, and, and also the people that I still worked with. And then, you know, used the program to, to practice the opposite of the character defects that I saw. And it got better over time. Does that answer the question? Hi. Hi, Marcy. Justin Hi, Justin. Thank you very much for your share. You mentioned um, when you first came into the rooms that you were very aware of, you know, some of the differences that you faced with other fellows in the room versus yourself and your own life experiences. How did you deal with that? It just after a while, it really did become home. I mean, like I said, it was just. There wasn't anywhere else to go, you know. There wasn't like a, a black lesbian OA that I could, you know, that I could like go to. And you know, over time, people were just so kind, and people reached out to me. And I, 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 I think a lot started to change for me when I started to give service, you know, because then you meet people, I, you know, and and it just changed over time, um, you know, and and. There were a lot of people who reached out to me who were very kind, and I made some friends. And um, but I'm kind of like, and I, I felt that I think everybody's different around this. I'm not really a person who was looking for friendship in these rooms. I really was looking for recovery. So I kind of, you know, I I always kind of knew that. So it wasn't as important to me that I feel at home or comfortable. But over time, it happens, you know, but it wasn't like my goal. And just over time, it happened. You know, I still go to meetings. I love meetings. I love, you know, my fellows of all colors and orientation and all of that today. And it just happened over time. Did that answer it? Um, with your children, are there specific steps or tools that you use in being with them or working with them? I, I think the third step, most of all, that, that I quit running the show, you know. They're all adults. Thank you, God. And, uh, <laughs> you know, really, I mean, I had a teenager in abstinence. You know, I had a, I, my, my youngest son was a teenager in abstinence, and, you know, I think they say, like, how you were as a teenager, like, you, you get to experience that. So my youngest son was very difficult, and I really did have to practice step three a lot, that, I, you know, I'm not running the show, that I'm going to let God direct this drama, you know, and um, a lot of pausing, a lot of praying. I really believe that um, God speaks to me through other people, and so I did a lot of reaching out to other parents in the program to ask them how to handle things. And, um, you know, today it's kind of good because I mind. I, somebody told me early on in program, like, you need to know what's your business, what's other people's business, and what's God's business. And if you get clear on that, you know, you'll, your life gets better. And today I try to remember that, that, that these are adult kids and, you know, adult kids, that doesn't make sense. But anyway, my, my children are adults and their business is their business, you know, and God's taking care of them and they have a higher power just like I do. And I really try to stay out of their lives, you know, even though I have all kinds of opinions and judgments, you know, but I, you know, I really just practice that you know, keeping my mouth shut, restraint of tongue and pen, you know, I mean, I was a furious kind of emailer, and, you know, I mean, like, I tell you what I think and then regret it later, and today I don't do that, you know, I don't do that today. 
and it, it really helps a lot with them. And then I find they, they'll come to you, you know, if you're not always, like, in their business, then they come and share when they want, you know, they share when they want. Thank you so much for your very inspiring share. Um, I really got a lot of it. I actually have two questions. One, I have a friend who's looking for a sponsor. Are you top open by any chance? Talk to me after okay, the meeting. Yeah, talk to me. And then, Brian, you know, it's a piece of food. I want to know, is there a specific practice that you would base this whole, I know you said psychic change from the AA. You definitely don't say that to me. There's just, like, I would never tell this by hearing you right now or listening to you that there's all this, you know, aggression or... Um, uh, the just seems so common. What, what, is there some particular practice or thing that you could It's just the 12 steps for me. It really is. It's the 12, the 12 steps give me access to a power that's greater than me, and that power changed me, you know, for me. And it really isn't perfect. I mean, you get to hear me, you know, I could be good for, you know, 45 minutes, you know. I mean, you know, there's a part in the big book that talks, you know, or in the 12 and 12 that talks about can we take these principles out into the world. It's really cool in these rooms, you know, we're all kind of practicing the principles. So it's a lot easier to be serene and, and calm and look good in a room full of your fellows. But, you know, catch me on a bad day at the office when, you know, when my boss, I mean, I've, I've worked for this same guy for 30 years. You know, catch me on a bad day. We're like brother and sister, you know, or, you know. Ask my, ask my, you know, my coworker. You know, the last time we had a screaming match. You know, really, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's better. And I made amends for for my behavior. You know, when I, when I act up, and I never did that before. I never said I was sorry. So, but it's the twelve steps. How do you cultivate your relationship with the higher power? Do you practice? How's that grown? How do you make? Yes, I mean, I feel like I could just keep saying over and over the 12 steps. Really, it is that the way that I cultivate a relationship with God, for me, yeah. is by the practice of steps, three, of steps 3 through 12. I think that they're designed to, to give me. And, you know, that's what it says it in the big book. The main purpose of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself. That will solve your problem. And for me, it really is the 12 steps. I mean... Um, I do have spiritual practices, um, and that's the funny thing. I always wanted to be a spiritual person before coming in the rooms. You know, I kind of had that play spirituality or materialistic kind of spirituality, you know, buy books and, you know, go, you know, whatever, have a T-shirt that was spiritual. But, you know, it works, and I thought I looked spiritual. But but the, but really it is the, the steps really do enable me to do that. Um you know, I, like I said, I do pray a lot. I meditate every day. And, and, you know, I was able to find spiritual practices or religions that work for me. But, but you know, it really is because of the steps. It really is. I know that's a boring answer, but it's the truth. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Thank you for your share. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you. How do you deal with the holidays and food and people pushing food at you, people that cook for you specifically, spend hours in the kitchen. How, how, how do I deal with the holidays and food and, yeah. and people pushing food? It's a good question. Um, it's like a miracle for me. It's not a problem. 
Um, you know, like I said, I work for doctors, and, you know, people like to give us stuff. Somebody brought me a beautiful box of cupcakes just the other day. And it's just, it's, it's a miracle. It's just not a problem. So it's not like a struggle for me. Thank you, God, today. You know, um, the book says if it becomes a struggle, i got to look at my spiritual condition. But they give me this beautiful stuff, you know, and, and they say it smells good and it looks good, and I say thank you very much. I don't explain that I don't eat it. I don't, I don't think people need to know that when they give you a gift. And then I take the box and I take it in the back and I give it to my coworker who people don't see. She's like in the background and I'm, so she doesn't get stuff. And she has children and she's not one of us and, and it, it, problem is solved. And people give me boxes of C's candy, which I used to eat by the pound, you know, really, like, you know. Um, and people give it to me, and my mom loves C's, and she's not one of us. I take it and I give it to her, and, you know, I can tell she's not one of us because it's still there <laughs> a month later, you know. I don't get that, you know. I don't get that. But So, I mean, really, and, and it's funny, in the beginning I felt very white-knuckled. I'll be honest, like, I came in in May. And I felt very white-knuckled around candy and cookies and all that kind of stuff. Like, I felt very um, afraid of food, and I felt very like I, was gonna, I wasn't going to be able to make it through the day and stuff like that. And I remember, like, we had candy dishes at work, and I had to have, they, they had to move them, and people couldn't show me stuff. And then, really, like, um, when I did my fourth step, I had so much stuff on my fourth step that I thought I would take to my grave. And when I gave away my fourth step, something happened. And that, like, white knuckle feel and that obsession and that fear, it was just lifted for me. That's just my, you know, I know it's different for everybody, but for me that was really my experience. And and I remember, like, I gave it away, like, right, like, Halloween time, I couldn't have candy in the house, and I was terrified of candy, and I just knew I'd eat the whole thing if it was in the house. And I gave my fourth step away right after Halloween, and like Thanksgiving, you know, was just it was gone. And all and the food didn't change, and the people pushing food on me, none of that stuff changed. My mother still to this day will say, you know, you can have a little. Why don't you have a little? You know, why don't you? You're not going to have a cupcake. You're not going to have, you know, a piece of this. You know, cake that I made for you, she's, to this day she still says that. Um, but so nothing changed except for me. You know, I mean, people still, you know, but it's not their job to change. You know, she just doesn't get it. You know, she doesn't get it. And I stopped. It, it, it stopped being important. For a while it was really important that she get it. You know, I just thought, why can't you get, you know. So anyway. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that's it.